Lawrence Diving, and welcome to this episode of the Career Success Podcast. Today we'll be joined by James Munter, the VP of Sales for J&J China. James joined J&J in 2004 as a management trainee. He held various sales and marketing positions before moving to the Walt Disney Company as a key member of the team that created a new way for Disney to engage retailers and shoppers across all lines of business. In 2001, he returned to J&J UK as head of trade marketing and held various customer, shopper, and innovation roles in the UK and Europe before moving to Asia in 2011. While in Singapore, James led the Asia-Pacific Regional Customer Development Team, and in 2014, he relocated to Shanghai, where he's currently leading the consumer sales organization. Welcome, James. Thank you very much. Nice to meet you, Laura. So one topic that I'm constantly speaking with my clients about is employee engagement, and trust is a big factor in that. Um, I've recently seen a study done by the Edelman Trust Barometer that said 51% of employees do not trust their CEOs. So what actions do you believe leaders can take to build trust within their organization? So I think this is an interesting question. Um, There's, of course, a classic answer of clear vision, line of sight of goals and objectives, and making sure as a leader that you keep commitments and develop the organization. But As we move forward, I think even more important now is authenticity. Uh, Employees are looking for transparency, and I've noticed at least over the last five or ten years uh, that relying on humility and looking for input can really build trust with employees. And how do you think, I mean, looking at that transparency, how do you keep that there on a day-to-day basis, you know, with your team? Working in China, this has really come into focus Because, of course, as a foreigner working in China, there are many things you don't know culturally uh, from a business perspective and even in how transaction and negotiations are done. And I found the three years I've been here in China that uh, being humble and transparent about what I do and don't know, Mm -hmm. uh, being really clear on where I feel that there uh, there are opportunities, where I have clear line of sight, and then reaching out to my team, I feel has really allowed me to build much more trust. Yeah, I mean, some of the other factors um, for employee engagement, transparency is definitely one, you know, having a purpose, mission and values, as well as um, recognition and learning are just a few um, that do keep employees engaged. Do you feel that these are the same in the Asian culture? Because a lot of these studies were done in in Western Europe or in the U.S. Would you say that's the same in, in the Asian culture as well? So when I first moved to Asia, I think I wasted about six months when I first got here by worrying about cultural differences. Uh, Probably the biggest piece of feedback I give to people moving to Asia is that we're all people. We aspire to look after our career, our family, to be successful, and we look for validation. Now, maybe in Asia that might be about having a Louis Vuitton bag, and in Europe it might be about the vacations or holidays you take. Mm -hmm. But fundamentally, we're all the same. I think there are two differences on leading in Asia. The first one is about being part of a crowd. And uh, this was highlighted to me when I saw some advertising from Gap, the Gap, where in Europe they are advertising uh, be part of the in crowd, whereas here in China they actually advertise as being one of the crowd. So it's rather than standing, um, standing alone, People in Asian culture are looking to be part of a much more uh, wider family. 
Um, and really, Asian culture is patriarchal. Um, here in China, it's Confucian. And people are looking to be part of family and a group. And so as a leader, building that engagement and trust is about creating more than just um, the day-to-day -day work and the day-to-day -day tasks and mission and vision. It's about how contribution can bring you closer together and how you can really partner together uh, to, to make everybody successful. And you read, in, you read in books about the importance of face and, uh, and transactional relationships in Asia. But beyond that, it's just about making sure that people feel they're respected within a framework of the people around them. And that's super important. The second thing that I found was because of that um, a focus on overall position within a group, as a Western manager, it's really important to have one-on-one -on -one time and to really deep dive with people uh, because you have to get below the surface. And many people come and try to work in Asia. They try to apply theoretical um, approaches of leadership in Asian culture. Really, the faster you can get to one-to-one -to -one and build mm -hmm. a personal relationship, the, the faster you can make a difference. Okay. And I know that you recently wrote an article, Eight Things the Bike-Sharing Boom Can Tell You About Your Business in China. What would you like readers to take away from that article? It's the first time I've ever written anything about business. But I was, um, I was drawn to do that because if you live in Shanghai, you've gone from having zero shared bikes on the streets, maybe five or ten bikes that you'd mm -hmm. see in an average day, to 500,000, half a million. In fact, a further 100,000 have arrived here in Shanghai in the last month. Uh, so this is a highly competitive, completely new, uniquely Chinese uh, business which has sprung up in in less than 12 months 30 40 million us dollars worth of capital already burnt by the companies wow. as they enter um, so really I, I i wrote that article to help explain to people what it's like working in china and how china is different because uh, when you're outside normally teams in china tell you it's different uh, it's very uh, unusual here uh, go away tell us uh, tell us to come back uh, when we've finished our plan I'll come back and tell us what you've done when we, you, when we finish our plan. But really, this, um, this bike sharing illustrates the key business challenges of operating in China. Huge capital inflows from mm -hmm. competitors, rapid innovation, enormous manufacturing capability to create uh, thousands of bikes overnight that just appear, uh, linked with e-commerce, with micropayments, with social media um, so that people are using their mobile phones to uh, unlock the bikes, to share where they are, to sh find where the bikes are. And then combined with heavy government regulation and then more and more competition piling in as it becomes clear that this is a way to make money. Um, sure. So it was, a, it was a way of illustrating the, the factors which uh, occur in every industry from chocolate to uh, baby shampoo. Uh, the same factors are, are hitting everybody who competes here in China. Okay. So would you say that uh, those are the biggest challenges within Asia at the moment? I think, um, I think China is unique in that it's uh, incredibly superheated because so many people want to invest here. Mm -hmm. When you look at the challenges in Asia, there's, really, there's a couple of things um, which spring to mind. Three things spring to mind. Um, the first one is that this is becoming the center of gravity for innovation. Many of the new innovations coming from Asia are maybe not considered as innovations, but stick globally. Of course, there's beauty 
innovations coming from Korea and Japan. Uh, and uh, Samsung would be a good example of uh, a Korean innovator who probably don't get enough credit um, for the way that they just create new ideas day in, day out, and then invest behind the ones that stick. Um, so there's a real center of gravity of innovation and the old way of thinking that Asian businesses are ones who just copy is tremendously outdated. It's a huge challenge for, for people and multinationals. The second one is about local competition. As the middle classes uh, rise in, in Asian and Chinese countries, we're seeing a much more capital run into the business. And we're finding that local competitors have more capital, more access to government, more access to media, more local understanding. And so they're really becoming uh, much more aggressive. And then the third is the rapid evolution of the business. Uh, international companies, be they retailers like a Tesco or a Walmart, mm -hmm. uh, be they manufacturers like Unilever or Procter & Gamble, have long-term horizons, business plans, uh, long-term planning cycles, and uh, product, new product in, uh, introduction processes uh, that they've developed, which take a long time. The local competitors that you find in Asia are really short-circuiting that. They're tapping into a vast pool of manufacturing capability um, across Southeast Asia and China. And rather than innovate and then build the process to deliver, they're co-innovating with the people who own the manufacturing facilities. That means that in my industry, for example, competitors are bringing products to market in, let's say, three months, okay. uh, whereas I, I, I guess the average would be maybe 12 to 24 months globally. So you have a center of gravity of innovation. You have local competitors who are really plugged into the market and have huge inflows of capital. And then you also have a vast manufacturing base uh, where people are able to unlock that innovation very quickly. And how do you think multinational organizations will deal with those challenges to, to keep relevant in the market? I think if you look at multinationals in Asia at the moment, you can see them struggle. And uh, if you look at the quarter one filings from uh, many of the international manufacturers, you can see uh, that they are losing share mm -hmm. in Asia. I think there's a, a couple of things which uh, can really address that. The first is leaning heavily on local talent. The days of expatriates like myself, coming to markets and bringing ways of working, processes uh, and uh, methodologies for doing business are long gone. Sure. Uh, it's the time to really learn from local talent and hire outside. Our most successful hires here in J&J &J have been people who have been working in aggressive local startups who bring the culture and the network that we can tap into. The second is developing the mind of a startup and educating the organizations that to compete in these markets, you need to uh, fail fast, be hungry, and also be willing to invest outside of your comfort zone because that's what the competitors are doing. And if you look at, um, for example, the growth of L'Oreal here in China, you can see that they've rapidly accelerated their processes, that they're working with third-party manufacturers, and they really do have uh, that approach, which is more like a startup. And then the third goes back to the discussion we had on leadership is a humility. The old ways of doing business definitely do not translate into these markets now. And so being humble to learn and to look at indicators of how the market is changing is really important. 
Uh, in my industry, there's been 11,000 convenience stores opened in the last six months in China. Uh, there'll be 24,000 opened by the end of this year minimum. That requires a general level of humility and flexibility, which I think everyone can learn from and will hopefully impact overall global business. Sure. Well, James, thank you so much for being our guest today. It's my pleasure. Thank you very much, Lauren. And also thank you to all of our listeners. And I hope you'll tune in next month to the Career Success Podcast. 